the one thing that uh, you know I initially learned uh, from Dr. James uh, is, uh, guess what? The patient comes first. Anything we can do to uh, help the patient through their cancer journey, we should do. Uh, and so I, I, I practice that that way through through my entire career. This is the James Cancer Free World podcast. I'm Steve Wartenberg. And today we have a very special guest, Dr. William Farr. Bill will be retiring in a few days after 46 years, 46 years here at the James. And I don't think I'm exaggerating when I say he's a bit of a legend around here. Bill has performed about 20,000 surgeries. He's treated every type of cancer except brain cancer. And his specialty the past few decades has been treating breast cancer patients. Bill began his career at Ohio State in 1975 as a resident. Before there even was a James, his mentor and eventual surgical partner was the late great Dr. Arthur James, who worked for, for many, many years to create the cancer hospital that would eventually be named after him. Bill, in turn, has mentored a generation or two or, or three of surgeons. He has served as the division chief of surgical oncology, as the founding director of the Stephanie Spielman Comprehensive Breast Center. He has authored or co-authored more than 100 scientific papers. And for another few days, he'll remain as the CEO of the James Cancer Hospital. And then Bill will be retiring. Bill, you've had a, a truly remarkable career and you have impacted thousands and, and thousands of, of lives. So thank you for being here in your, your last week of work. Well, Steve, I, uh, I appreciate this and I appreciate the opportunity to, uh, to, uh, to get interviewed here and talk a little bit about uh, uh, the changes that have occurred at Ohio State since I came here in 75. Yeah, there have been a lot of changes in not just here, but in the whole world of cancer. But first, before we do that, I'm very curious. We've talked a few times, but I don't really know much about your your childhood. I know you grew up in Illinois. So what was that like? What what did your parents do and what made you at some point say, hey, I want to go into medicine? Well, Steve, uh, thank you for that question. And uh uh, yeah, my, I basically grew up in Aurora, Illinois. Uh, my dad was in the insurance business. So early on, we moved up the state sort of. I was born in Centralia, Illinois, uh, lived three years in Clinton, Illinois, and then uh, moved into Aurora, Illinois in 1957 and basically grew up uh, there, which is about 40 miles uh, west of Chicago. I uh, attended the West Aurora High School uh, and uh, had a had a great uh, great time in school. I I uh, at that time uh, um, at a uh, a presentation uh, or a discussion on what you wanted to do when you grew up grow up. Uh, you had to put down three things, and uh, I put down uh, medicine uh, to be a lawyer. Uh, and uh, I can't remember what the third one was, uh, but it wasn't anything substantial. Uh, but I uh, became good friends with uh, a member of our church who was a doctor, uh, and they were good friends of my parents. And uh, 
he would uh, take me over sometime during my my sophomore year in high school and make rounds with him uh, and uh, and just see what medicine was a light like and so that, that was sort of my introduction to medicine and uh, I uh, sort of followed through with that and uh, thought that that may be something I wanted to do. Uh, so during my, the summers of my junior and senior year in high school, uh, and every summer that I was in college, I worked in a hospital uh, and doing different odds, uh, odd jobs uh, from, uh, uh, from being an orderly uh, in the hospital. We don't have orderlies per se anymore, but basically an orderly uh, did everything that the nurses didn't want to do, basically. Uh, and so I did that for a summer. Um, and uh, in Illinois, there was a program that I participated in, uh, uh, got a grant basically for 10 weeks to spend uh, two weeks with different doctors from a family doctor to a radiologist, to a surgeon, uh, to an obstetrician. Uh, and that's really what got me uh, really finalized my decision to go into medicine and also sort of finalized my decision to go in surgery. Uh, so because of that, and uh, I got to know uh, many, many doctors that worked at the hospital. Uh, the year after I did that sort of externship, uh, I worked in the operating room uh, from uh, cleaning uh, utensils and, and instruments that we would use uh, to also assisting, if you can believe this, assisting uh, in the OR uh, during my sophomore and junior years in college, uh, which was a little unusual today, but back then uh, it was a great advantage to the doctors to have the help. Uh, and I really had a great experience doing that. Now, when you say assisting the surgeons, what exactly did that mean? Is it uh, just handing them instruments or were you actually participating in procedures? No, I wasn't participating in the procedures, but I would hold retractors. So in that regards, I, I guess you could say you participated, but uh, uh, no, I was, I was not doing anything, but it gave me great exposure to see how surgery is done. Um, and uh, so that's, that's what finalized my decision to go in surgery. You know, once many years ago, when I was a, a newspaper reporter, I got to watch an open heart surgery and it was fascinating. And I'm guessing when you were watching all these different surgeries, perhaps the same thing happened that you were fascinated by the anatomy of the body and how you could sort of take it apart and put it back together. It, it was, it was a, a, a truly fascinating experience for me. And, uh, uh, you know, that experience uh, uh, really, it was life-changing for me because, uh, you know, I really like many aspects of medicine uh, and, uh, uh, and getting to know patients, et cetera. And, and uh, during this, these summers, uh, I had just a great experience uh, uh, in my hometown to, to be able to, uh, to, uh, um, to participate 
not participate, but be there uh, and help the surgeon uh, any way I could to, to perform the operation. And so they, they really liked for me to come in and help. Uh, I, as I said, I've worked in the hospital for two or three years. So uh, I basically knew almost all of the doctors. So it was just a great experience for me. Now you went to Illinois Wesleyan. I did. That was a, a, another uh, great opportunity for me. I, I did play uh, uh, sports in, in high school in uh, football, basketball, and track. Uh, and so I knew I wanted that to be part of my college experience, but I also knew that that college experience had to, uh, had to be uh, uh, part, partly uh, a great medical uh, experience and a pre-med courses that would help get me into the medical school that I wanted to go to. Uh, so I knew I uh, would, would have difficulty going to uh, a, a major college to play sports uh, because I may not be able to put in the time needed to uh, be, uh, get into medical school. Uh, and so uh, we had a local recruiter uh, for Illinois Wesleyan in the Aurora area, uh, and I became good friends with him and really through that uh, a relationship, I uh, applied and got into Illinois Wesleyan, uh, where I could play football, basketball, and golf, as well as the, do all the pre-med courses. Well, I do know a little bit about your football career. You set the school record, five interceptions in one game, and which is still the record. And as I was reading that and thinking about that, I'm wondering, why did that quarterback keep throwing the ball in your direction after the first <laughs> couple of interceptions? Did you? Now that's a very good question. I wondered <laughs> that myself. Uh, it was very. It was a great day, obviously, and uh, uh, but it was uh, the game was. I remember the game. It was against North Park, and North Park uh, was in our conference, uh, the CCIW conference. It was many smaller schools like Illinois Wesleyan, Milligan, Augustana, um, Carthage, Carroll, North Park, North Central. Uh, so it was a, a group of colleges really in Northern Illinois and, and around the states. But uh, the quarterback that of North Park the previous week had thrown 10 touchdown passes and got his name in Sports Illustrated as, you know, uh, the highlight of the week or whatever. So they were a very uh, uh, passing team per se. And so I had a, a interesting and fun day. <laughs> wow. What position did you, cornerback or safety or? I played safety. Yeah. And someone told me that you were obviously five interceptions. You were quite a safety, but did you have a NFL tryout? Well, I could have. If uh, my goal, if if I hadn't got into medical school, uh, I had uh, uh, association with the Minnesota Vikings, uh, and so my dad had been a football coach many, many years ago, back in the uh, early fifties, and uh, uh, got to got to know a number of the the coaches that then became uh, general managers, and so. Uh, and they wanted me to try out for the Minnesota Vikings, uh, which was probably wouldn't, uh, nothing would probably have happened from that. Uh, but uh, 
at least it was fun to, uh, to think about uh, before I got into medical school. So you had a choice to make, try out for the Minnesota Vikings or on to medical school. Well, that was so. a pretty easy decision once I got in. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think you would have lasted 46 years in the NFL. No. <laughs> yeah, or so uh, you went to medical school at University of Virginia. Yes. And I read a story that you were a little nervous going in that you, you know, big school and perhaps you're from a smaller college or town. You were a little worried about how you do. Well, I, I, I was because uh, Virginia had a very good reputation and uh, um, and I was concerned coming from a small liberal arts school in, in uh, Bloomington, Illinois, that uh, when I looked at who my classmates were and where they came from, they were from Harvard and Yale and Brown and, and all of the, the, the big Ivy League schools. Uh, uh, and it, it's funny because I, when I looked at that, I thought, oh my goodness, I'm going to have a tough time. Uh, I hope Illinois Wesleyan has prepared me for, for what I'm, I'm uh, going to uh, pursue. Uh, and I found out very quickly that Illinois Wesley had done a fantastic job to prepare me. Uh, yes, there were some weaknesses, but uh, uh, I had really been prepared uh, very well to, to go to medical school. And I would ask these uh, people who uh, come from all the Ivy League schools, uh, they would ask me where I came from. And I'd say, well, I'm from Aurora, Illinois. Uh, I went to school at Illinois Wesleyan. And they would say, well, is, is Aurora, Illinois, is, is, uh, is Illinois close to Chicago? <laughs> uh, and uh, I knew when not just one. I mean, many of my classmates had no clue where uh, Illinois was on the map. Uh, and even is Illinois a state or is it Chicago? So I knew if they couldn't even figure out where Aurora, Illinois was, that I was probably going to do okay. Uh, and uh, indeed, that, uh, that's what happened. Yes, doctors might not be strong on geography. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Did you ever waver? Because in medical school, you get exposed to rotations in everything. Did you ever waver from being a surgeon? Did anything else ever really interest you? No, it, uh, it never did. Uh, as, as I already talked about my experience in, uh, in, in high school and college, um, that really uh, uh, convinced me that uh, that surgery uh, was what I wanted to do. And, and my plan at the time was to to go back to Aurora, where I, I knew many, many doctors there to, um, to practice surgery. Uh, in fact, one of the clinics there, one of the major clinics, uh, had already uh, had talked to me about possibly going back there once uh, my training was over to, to work with uh, a number of the doctors. So that was sort of my plan at the time. So what prevented you from going back? Was it your residency at Ohio State? Yes, <laughs> and uh, a big part, a big part of that residency that really changed my mind was was Dr. James. Um, when I started my general surgery residency in 1975, I had the opportunity to work uh, a month uh, during my internship with Dr. James, and uh, and as you know, he he uh, was not only a great surgeon, a great person, uh, and uh, really did surgical on, only surgical oncology, so uh, cancer surgery. 
So uh, I got exposed to cancer surgery early on in my residency. Uh, and uh, uh, still, uh, general surgery was what had appealed to me the most. Uh, but that during my third year of residency, uh, Dr. Carey, who was our chairman, uh, and Dr. James called me into a meeting, uh, which I didn't know what it was about. Uh, but Dr. Carey wanted to start a surgical oncology fellowship at Ohio State to be one of, at that time, only three approved uh, surgical oncology fellowships. And he had... Uh, brought Dr. James into the foe to, to lead that effort. Uh, and they wanted me to be the first oncology fellow in, that, uh, uh, in the fellowship. Um, and so during my third year, I skipped my third year of general surgery resident and, and did a fellowship in surgical oncology, uh, which really, uh, uh, piqued my interest in doing cancer surgery, which really led for me to, to uh, then eventually go to Memorial Sloan Kettering in New York City, and then coming back and working uh, nine years with Dr. James before he retired. So Dr. James had obviously a tremendous influence on my, uh, my career. Now, before we talk a little more about Dr. James, set the stage back then when you say uh, a surgical uh, fellowship, cancer oncology surgery back then was so different. It's almost like you were a general surgeon for cancer. You operated on every type of cancer. There weren't the specialists there are today. What was it like then doing all these different types of surgery? How difficult was it or how different was it? Well, it was um, um, the, the, the surgeries that were done back then for cancer um, were, weren't as specific as they are today. And what I mean by that is uh, going into the surgical oncology fellowship, I did all types of cancer uh, except brain cancer. That was the one uh, cancer that we did not uh, work on. But in, you know, in a certain week, Dr. James and I may do uh, a colon cancer, a breast cancer, a head and neck cancer, a thyroid cancer. Uh, uh, sarcoma, uh, melanoma, uh, all the different types of cancer uh, was part of this fellowship, um, as well as surgical oncology at that time. Uh, and my, my two years that I spent at Memorial uh, were the best two years of my life, basically. Uh, it was an incredible experience working with some of the most renowned cancer surgeons in the world uh, and working with them for, for two years uh, was, was just that fantastic experience. Uh, and so when I was hired back to work with Dr. James at Ohio State, uh, I basically did all of the different types of cancers uh, uh, for, for 20 years uh, until about 2000. Uh, when I then narrowed my practice down to thyroid and breast, uh, and then 10 years later, just narrowed it down to breast cancer. But back then, uh, when I started my career uh, after my fellowship, all sur surgical oncologists were few and far between. Uh, but that's what we did at that time. We did all different types of, of cancer. Uh, 
uh, and uh, it was as you as I said uh, the progression uh, uh, narrowed it down because there became more and more surgical oncologists available, and as cancer surgery and cancer care became much more of, 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 of using chemotherapy, of using radiation, and now using immunotherapy. Uh, and so to really specialize and be, be one of the top in your field, you needed to specialize in one area of surgical oncology. Uh, that's what brought the James about uh, to, to bring uh, all the uh, uh, cancer surgeons, cancer medical oncologists, cancer radiation oncologists, uh, and have them work in one building with each specializing in one or possibly two different types of cancers. So if I understand the progression properly, then the years really before you started, general surgeons would perform cancer surgery. Then you were at the forefront of surgical oncologists, uh, men and women who would perform cancer surgeries, but all types of cancer surgeries. And then starting in the early 2000s, you became specialists in one or two specific types of cancer. And even now it's become even more specialized because there's just so much more knowledge and and skills involved exactly exactly and 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 just to give you an example of that uh you know one one i think good good example is um uh is in breast cancer uh, something that i have continued to to specialize in um but um back when i started uh practice uh, how did we treat breast cancer uh, back in 1975? Uh, well, we were just starting to use mam mammogram. It was very primitive, uh, not, not very well developed. So most women uh, would feel a mass in her breast and then would come to the doctor. And if, if it appeared to be a breast mass, we would then take the patient to the operating room, remove the mass, and if the mass was cancer, we'd get a frozen section on it, then we would do a radical mastectomy, which would be removal of all of the breast tissue, uh, all of the lymph nodes under the arm, uh, and the muscles of the chest wall. Uh, so it was a, a very radical procedure, uh, and in most cases, we did not recommend because there wasn't any further treatment. Uh, in 75, we had one or two clinical trials looking at chemotherapy, but there was no standard therapy. So that's, that's the way a patient was treated for breast cancer in 75. So if the cancer had progressed through the lymph nodes in the armpits to other parts of the body, there was not much, if anything, you could do. We would treat them with very primitive type of chemotherapy, um, but there really wasn't many options available. Radiation therapy was just becoming down the road, uh, but we would use the primitive chemotherapy. We would use uh, uh, pretty, uh, 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 you know, radiation that at that point in time didn't seem to work real well. Um, so that was really the only treatment that we had back in the early 70s. 
But that wasn't just breast cancer, right? That was for you most could, cancers. We could they... talk about this with many cancers. Yeah. Uh, breast, uh, I talk mainly about breasts because that's where I have seen the most changes. Uh, and that's come about, to be honest with you, from, from donations. Uh, breast cancer as, as, had, was on the scene first as a cancer uh, that obviously was, was um, you know, to have a radical mastectomy back then, we did not have good reconstructive uh, 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 ways of, uh, of re re reconstructing the breast. So it was a very uh, um, public cancer, so to speak. And because of that, you know, the American Cancer Society, many other societies really worked on raising money for a cancer treatment. And that's really what took us down the road to really changing the way that we treated breast cancer. Uh, and, uh, I mean, just to give you an example, I just mentioned how we treated it in 75. How do we treat it in, in 2022? Patient comes in with a breast, with a mass in their breast. Most of the time they come in because they've had a mammogram and a finding that you can't feel in the breast. So what happens at that point? No, we don't take them to the operating room. We do a biopsy, a needle biopsy uh, and confirm what type of cancer it is. Then we look at the receptors, the estrogen receptors, the progesterone receptors, the HER2 receptors, which give us an idea of how aggressive this cancer, cancer is, but also gives us different ways of treating the cancer. So if, if the first goal of treatment is that, for instance, the HER2 positive is negative, uh, the, all the other receptors are positive, then we, again, all this is taken in perspective with the size in the tumor, but in most cases, we would take the patient to the operating room and do a lumpectomy, or if the patient desires, or if the tumor's in a bad location or is big enough that a lumpectomy can't be done, then a mastectomy's done. But most patients uh, this day and age uh, do a lumpectomy. And then we do what's called a sentinel lymph node biopsy, where we do an injection into the breast prior to surgery and then use a, a, a basically a neoprobe to identify which lymph nodes have taken up the radioactivity and take out one or two. And if those are negative, leave the rest of the lymph nodes alone. And then do reconstruction if the patient needs it. Um, put a drain in and usually discharge them the same day. Whereas in 75, a patient may stay in the hospital for 10 to, two, 10 to 14 days. Then once the patient heals up from that, then offer them chemotherapy. If they have a lumpectomy, they need radiation. They would then need endocrine therapy in many cases. So I just go through that, that that is, is what's happened in my lifetime for the treatment of one cancer. Wow, and the lymph nodes, you're checking the lymph nodes because that's how and the, the way that the cancer can metastasize and travel, right? So if there's nothing in the lymph nodes, that's a good sign that it hasn't traveled somewhere else. That's true, not, all, not of all cases, of course, but 
that's the one place where it tells us that the tumor has become a, one of the things that we look at that the tumor has become more aggressive and may require um, you know, further testing to see if it has spread to other places. Uh, but they, uh, uh, the, the, the results uh, compared to, to what it was uh, when I started in 1975, it's just phenomenal to me uh, the, how things have changed. And I think breast cancer is by far and away one of the, the, the changes uh, across oncology that has really been uh, uh, just mind boggling to me how, how many changes they have, that's gone on. Uh, and now we're looking at immunotherapy that's going to play another role besides uh, surgery, chemotherapy, radiation, immunotherapy is going to be the fourth, uh, fourth tool that we'll have to, to treat breast cancer very quickly down the road. Yeah. Now, before we go on to talk about some of the more of these advances, let's take a step back. We talked a little bit about Dr. James. But tell me more about what he was like as a mentor, as a surgeon, and his why he was so determined to create a standalone cancer hospital here in Columbus. Well, he was, he was born in southeastern Ohio uh, in a town called Rhodesdale, which does not exist right now. Uh, but uh, his family uh, was there for the coal mines. And uh, he went to Ohio State to undergraduate as well as to medical school. Uh, and then did his residency at a number of places, University of Chicago and Duke. Uh, and when he finished his residency, he also had been mentored by a, a couple uh, uh, surgical oncologists, which were quite rare uh, back in the 40s to have surgical oncologists. Uh, but they convinced him to go to Memorial, which he did uh, once he finished his residency. Uh, uh, at Duke, uh, and uh, was only there six weeks before the war uh, hit World War II. So he left Memorial, went to went to uh, Europe, uh, and then when the war was completed, he went back to Memorial and finished his fellowship, and then returned to Ohio in 1948. And at that time, he started his practice of surgical oncology not only working in all the hospitals around Columbus, but around the hospitals in the state. Uh, he would go to faraway places to do surgery because they were not any surgical oncologists that had been trained to do what he could do for many of these operations. Um, so when he saw that about two or three years later, it, it, he was convinced, why can't we have a uh, cancer hospital in the Midwest. Uh, the closest one was Memorial in, in New York City. They did have one in Roswell Park uh, in, in Buffalo. Uh, and the other closest one was MD Anderson down in Texas. But what, how he saw cancer being treated in outside community hospitals, et cetera, was, was something he thought we can do better at. Uh, and so he started a campaign basically in 1948, 49, 50 to build a cancer hospital in Columbus, Ohio. Uh, and actually there was a headlines in uh, the dispatch in 1960 
that basically stated cancer hospital to be built in Columbus, Ohio. Uh, won't go into the many, many, many yeah. reasons uh, why it uh, became uh, difficult to get that done, uh, but he never gave up. Uh, and in 1984, the, uh, the, the, the state uh, approved uh, money for this project, $40 million. Uh, $14 million was approved to come from the university. Uh, and uh, so the, the, the cancer, cancer hospital was started. Uh, and in 1987, uh, it was uh, named the James Cancer Hospital. Uh, by the president of the university, uh, and then it eventually opened in July of 1990. Uh, so it took him, it took him basically um, 40, uh, uh, 40 years to get his dream uh, of a cancer hospital uh, uh, completed uh, in Columbus, Ohio. What do you remember of the opening day of the James Cancer Hospital? Well, it was, it was, greatly exciting. Uh, it was delayed six months. Uh, this is an interesting story. It was supposed to open in December of 89. Uh, and uh, the long story short, a patient uh, walking in Doan Hall saw water coming under the door. Uh, and the bottom line is uh, that that water had come from the 13th floor of a broken pipe. Uh, so it took six months to get rid of all the water from the cancer hospital to open in July of 1990. Uh, but uh, it, it was a great, great day to have an um, Dr. James uh, rolled the first patient uh, in, although he had retired, he rolled the first patient uh, into the James uh, and uh, the James has grown substantially in all aspects since that time. We're going to take a quick break. And when we come back, Bill will talk, talk about his quest to create the Spielman Comprehensive Breast Center. And perhaps it didn't take quite 40 years, but evidently it was, it was also a huge step forward for the James. In today's world, misinformation abounds. But at the Ohio State Health and Discovery website, we're addressing today's most relevant health, wellness, science, and research topics, all from the Ohio State experts you can trust. We're tapping into physicians, scientists, and thought leaders across our medical center and health sciences colleges to give you the deeper story behind the headlines and the truth about the topics affecting the health of individuals, society, and the world. Visit health.osu.edu today. We're back with Bill Farr, and we're recording this on June 27th, and this is the Monday of Bill's last week, ending a remarkable 46-year career at the James, in which Bill has been part of and helped create just a whole new way of, of treating cancer. And it's been fascinating listening to you talk about the changes over the years. And one of the biggest changes you mentioned is treating breast cancer. And the James and you have been world leaders in this and now have this amazing facility, the Spielman Comprehensive Breast Center. But give us the background on how you went from, I don't want to say nothing, but from a minimal way to treat women 
with breast cancer to this world-class state-of-the-art separate center. Well, thank you, Steve. And uh, as we had mentioned earlier, um, I did uh, participate in, in treating all different types of cancers except brain cancer. But really the last uh, 10 to 15 years, I, I really concentrated on breast cancer uh, because that was an interest I had and it was uh, the main interest I had in doing uh, research. Um, I was also head of our clinical trials unit uh, and what a clinical trials unit is, is just to do protocols uh, uh, to compare one kind of treatment for cancer versus another one to see which one uh, is better and then move on from there. Uh, and breast cancer, as I mentioned earlier, uh, we did get fortunate to have a lot of donated money uh, to help us start these clinical trials. Uh, so we started, uh, um, I, I started actually with a number of other doctors, a multidisciplinary clinic uh, in about 1995 uh, in the James. And this was one of our first multidisciplinary clinics. And what I mean by that is it incorporates all different treatment modalities, surgery, chemotherapy, radiation, uh, and, and all different types uh, that, that clearly benefited uh, patient care and especially in breast cancer. Uh, we had all of this research going on and gave us the ability to, to compare one treatment with another treatment, see which is better, then move on. And that's how we progress in our, our cancer treatment and find ways to improve uh, on outcomes. So we started this clinic on the first floor of, of the, the, what we call now the old James, which is the brain, brain and spine hospital. Uh, but we started there in an afternoon to have a, a patient come in. They would see a surgeon, a medical oncologist, a radiation oncologist, and some in cases a plastic surgeon, they would see all of these people in one day. Um, and so we did that uh, for about two or three years and really outgrowing this space. We had so many patients that wanted to come here for this multidisciplinary care where they could get all of their treatment options discussed with them in one day. Uh, and so we needed to expand that. So we found space in 1997, uh, about two years after we opened up the first uh, multidisciplinary clinic uh, up at a building called Stone Ridge, which is, uh, close, which is up in Dublin on 161, uh, a little bit bigger building. And we were able to add a chemotherapy unit, uh, uh, our breast imaging um, doctors, a medical oncologist, a physical therapy area, surgical oncologist. So it just expanded dramatically on our patient care and the ability to get the information and help patients decide what's going to be their best option of treatment for their specific breast cancer. And it wasn't too long uh, after we built that place that we were starting to outgrow it. 
and so we eventually then decided to build our own building, um, which was started in about 2007, 2008, uh, and completed in 2011, uh, and opened in January of 2011. Um, and at that time, it was called the, uh, the James Breast Cancer uh, Comprehensive uh, Clinic. Um, so we opened there 125,000 square feet. We had everything we needed there from, uh, 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 from surgical oncologists to medical oncologists to breast imaging to radiation oncologists to plastic surgery. Uh, everything that a breast cancer patient would need. The only thing that we didn't have that we did most of the operations and still do today uh, in the main hospital. But six months after that building was built, um, I had taken care of uh, Stephanie Spielman uh, back in the late 90s up until when she uh, died in 2000, I believe it was 2007, 2008. And, and Chris Spielman, as many of you know, played football here at Ohio State as well as played professional football with the Detroit Lions. Um, they, they uh, once Stephanie was diagnosed back in about uh, uh, 1997, they set a goal of raising $250,000 for breast cancer research. And six months after the building was opened, uh, the building was changed name to the Stephanie Spielman Comprehensive Breast Center for their goal of raising $250,000, which presently is over $26 million. So the, their goal of raising money uh, is, is unbelievably, and every year raises close to a million, still raises close to a million dollars. So um, I think the name was, uh, was very well deserved um, uh, and continues to expand uh, uh, even today. Um, and we're, we're expanding all different types of treatment. Immunotherapy, as I mentioned earlier, is a, a new part of our clinical trials to try to see where that, that uh, modality fits in with all of the other modalities. Uh, so it's been a, uh, uh, an unbelievable uh, uh, advances uh, in breast cancer, uh, not only in how we treat it, uh, but the experience that we give to our patients, uh, the, the patient satisfaction for this breast Spielman uh, Center uh, is always between 98 and 99%. Uh, so it's a fantastic building and uh, uh, we've got excellent uh, clinicians that work there as well as nurse practitioners, nurses, support staff. Uh, it's just a wonderful place to uh, to really uh, treat our breast cancers. Now, this concept of a, a multidisciplinary clinic or hospital for breast cancer is one that you're kind of on the forefront, and now it's expanded to many, many, many other types of cancers. This idea of you come in, you see an oncologist, a surgeon, a radiologist, it's like a one-stop shop. You see all the experts in that uh, 
a large cancer center like the James is able to do this. And that's a new trend at the James and elsewhere at the leading hospitals. It, it is. And uh, uh, multidisciplinary care, without question, is, is, is the best approach we have to treat almost all cancers now. Um, we were fortunate to be uh, sort of first in line with our development of the multidisciplinary centers. Uh, and so uh, we were able to get a building uh, that's really uh, uh, expanded our program tremendously over the last 10 years, 10 or 11 years that's been open. Uh, but now uh, at the James, we have multidisciplinary clinics um, uh, almost in every cancer that, that, that requires it. Uh, some cancers don't need it completely because the one treatment they have or possibly true treatments uh, is, is all that is necessary. Uh, but any cancer that requires multidisciplinary care, uh, we, we have that at the James and that's what makes a cancer hospital uh, different uh, from uh, a community hospital. That, that's what we do. Cancer is what we do. Yeah. And I'm not sure of the exact date, four or five years ago, when Mike Calagiri left the James, you took over as the um, CEO of the James. So you're not just running the Spielman, but the James, so the entire hospital. And I'm, I'm very curious, your leadership style. I know from talking to other people, you're, you always put your patients first. You're a, a kind person. How does that translate into being the leader of, a, of the Spielman and, and now the entire James Cancer Hospital? Well, I, I think, um, you know, I, I will say I've, I've been the CEO for about uh, four and a half years, I think. And, you know, it's, it's been an incredible experience and an incredible way to sort of end my career. Uh, but the, the one thing that, uh, you know, I initially learned uh, from Dr. James uh, is, uh, guess what? The patient comes first. Anything we can do to uh, help the patient through their cancer journey, we should do. Uh, and so I, I, I practiced that, that way through, through my entire career. Uh, I tried to, uh, to give that uh, uh, information and ways to practice to the residents and fellows that I worked with uh, and all the faculty that, uh, uh, that I work with now. Uh, I think uh, we all need to remind ourselves that it's a cancer journey. We're part of the team. We're not the entire team, and we need to get the information that the patient and families need to, to get through this, uh, in many cases, a very horrible time. Uh, and uh, so I think if you always keep the patient in mind and do whatever you can to make it easier for the patients, uh, you will be successful. Uh, and in most cases, your patient will be successful. Uh, so I think that's sort of the way I've lived my career, and I try to uh, to get that information out not only to the the uh, the docs uh, and uh, uh, faculty that we have, but the nurses and nurse practitioners that work on the floor. Uh, and I'll tell you, I, I can't can't tell you uh, the exact number, but we have a tremendous faculty here. Uh, that uh, that do a great job uh, um, 
taking care of patients and putting the patients first. Uh, even through the pandemic, uh, where we had so much uh, problems, uh, uh, getting coverage, uh, getting the patients in, getting the patients out, our patient satisfaction for the James never dropped below 95%, which for me is phenomenal and says a lot uh, about all of us that work here at the James. So that culture of patient first began with Dr. James, passed directly on to you, and you've passed that on to hundreds, if not more people, and it continues today. I've seen it. So that's definitely the legacy of Dr. James and also the legacy of Dr. Farr. Well, I don't, I don't want to take credit for that. <laughs> I think there are many, many, many people who, uh, who, who, uh, who, who can take credit for that. But uh, it, is, uh, it is a culture that we have here and it's something that we really need to maintain. Yeah. And before I do want to talk to you about what you're going to do next in the future, but I, I, I've been talking to a few people about you. And um, I talked to Dave Cohn, the chief medical officer at the James. And Dave told me that early on in his career, you were a mentor to him, a surgical mentor. And he said, you had this amazing ability in the surgical lounge to sort of lie back in a, one of the chairs, put your feet up and fall asleep take a nap. And then when it was time to, to do something, you could wake up and within seconds, you were 100% alert, alert and ready to go. <laughs> if you don't have much time to sleep at night, you have to figure out a time where you can. Uh, so uh, back, back then, uh, it, you know, things were a lot different than they are now. And, and uh, uh, docs worked, worked a little bit differently than they do now. Uh, but uh, um, I could uh, catch a, a little cat nap uh, uh, if available, and uh, uh, it, it, it helped me. Uh, uh, I was actually not asleep. I was thinking about what I had to do for the next case, but I didn't want to tell him that. Uh, were, were you thinking it or were you dreaming it or both? Probably both. <laughs> yeah, you can. In your dreams, you're, you're going through your next procedure. Exactly. Like that. There you go. And your friend Dave Carbone told me about how before some of these current facilities and parking lots were built, there was this prime parking spot that you and he used to, I don't know if fight is the right word, but you used to one up each other getting there earlier and earlier to make sure you got that prime parking spot. Exactly right. And uh, I, uh, uh, I, uh, did not have any problems beating him there. Uh, so, so, uh, but yeah, we did, we both had, uh, there, there were two spark parking places. One was a little bit closer to the exit than the other. And, uh, uh, so for, you know, he was a pretty early bird guy too. So, uh, we did, uh, uh, we, we knew when one of us was out of town, we'll put it that way. Okay. And if you got there even super early before you had to operate, you could take a little cat nap in the car. I could. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and Mike Caligiri, who had the job before you did, he told me that there's a very important golf tournament every year, the Block Family Golf Tournament that raises a lot of money for the James. And he said something along the lines of, make sure you're on Bill Farr's team because you'll always win and you never even have to... Um, play bill take care of everything <laughs> well maybe that used to be true back in the 80s but it's not as true today 
oh, now everyone has to participate. Exactly. <laughs> but you mentioned you were an excellent golfer and I'm guessing still are. <laughs> Not as good as I used to be. Well, who is, but you know, yeah, even, even right. Jack Nicholas is a couple strokes off of what he once was. So, <laughs> and Rafe Pollock told me he had an emergency splenectomy and the first he, Rafe is the head of the comprehensive cancer center. And he had an emergency splenectomy and the first person, he didn't even know that you knew, but the first person to come and visit him in recovery was you. Well, he was my partner in crime. And, uh, uh, at that time, he was uh, chair of, uh, or the chief of surgical oncology. So, uh, uh, you know, he was a great, uh, we've known each other for, for close to 45, 50 years. Uh, so uh, he was, a, a, he's always been a good friend and a good colleague. So these friendships and these collegial connections, it, it, that's going to be hard to, to kind of step away from. It will be, it will be very hard because, uh, you know, I've known a lot of the people uh, uh, that that uh, are still here, uh, but uh, uh, I've known a lot that have left too, uh, and we still stay in touch. Uh, so uh, it, it will be hard. Um, I'm looking forward to uh, to helping out uh, however I can, um, but uh, I do have a, a lovely wife that. Uh, uh, we've got uh, many opportunities of travel ahead of us, so we're going to participate in, in that also. What's the first stop that you're going to visit? Well, her she's uh, her mom's family's from Italy, and she's always wanted to go to Italy. Uh, and I'm not one big for travel, uh, so uh, I've won out. But now I don't have any excuses, so uh, I think we'll at least go to Italy uh, uh, soon on uh, on our retirement uh, tab. Uh, she's going to make sure of that. I'm sure. I'm you've sure run, she will. you've run out of excuses. I think. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, are you going to be riding in Pelotoni or participating in some way? We will. We have been uh, 50 miles every year, uh, except last year, which was 57, which really hurt us a little <laughs> bit. Uh, but uh, but they, they tell us that the 57 is not going to be as hilly the last 10 uh, 10 miles. So. Uh, uh, we will try it again, but we may be picked up along the, the edge of the road someplace. Now, I know you're going to be involved in some way at the James as some sort of consultant or someone people will just call for some advice. But what do you see happening over the next five, 10 years? You talked about immunotherapy and other advances. And in your career, you've gone from basically cutting out cancer with not much else to do through all these advances that you've participated in and help lead, what's going to happen the next 5, 10, 15, 20 years? I think, uh, uh, Steve, I think it's, it's going to be unbelievable. Uh, it seems like every five to six years, there's been tremendous change. Uh, and I didn't mention it, but again, referring back to breast cancer, uh, there was a protocol that was completed last year down at MD Anderson with the type of chemotherapy and the type of radiation that we now have, there they have uh, the the protocol was to end up not operating on breast cancer, uh, and I think with immunotherapy becoming more and more uh, useful in breast cancer, there will soon become a time where certain breast cancers that have certain receptors will be given 
chemotherapy or maybe just immunotherapy and will end up not being operated on. Uh, I think that's in the very, very near future. Uh, and we're also seeing that in, in many other types of cancers where the chemotherapy and immunotherapy uh, ha have just changed our thinking about these cancers. Another good example is lung cancer. Six or seven, eight years ago, lung cancer, if it had metastasized or spread to other parts of the body, your life expectancy was six months or less. Now we've got people out seven, eight, nine years with, breath, with lung cancer that has spread. Uh, so it's, the, the, the changes I think are gonna be phenomenal. Uh, you, know, and, you know, I'm thinking, okay, maybe five years, I'll come back and do something more. I won't even know how to treat yeah. patients five years from now because of the changes that are going on. That is true. It's happening so fast that once you step away, the ability to stay up to speed becomes harder and harder. Wow. Yeah, I could still do a mastectomy, but it may not be something that we do anymore. Be wow. interesting to see. Hopefully, right? That's the That's goal. Exactly right. That's amazing. Yep. So I know you're, you're not going to want to talk about the word legacy, but let's talk about your role over these past 46 years in the growth here at Ohio State, the Spielman, the James, cancer treatment in general. How do you look back on and sum up your career and your contributions? Well, I think I've been, I think I've been very fortunate to uh, be surrounded with some, some really, really great people. Uh, uh, Dr. James obviously is, is, is top of the list, but there are many, many other surgeons, uh, medical oncologists, radiation oncologists that, uh, uh, that uh, you know, that I've had the opportunity to work with. Uh, cancer treatment is not a one-person uh, uh, deal, uh, and uh, you know uh, I, I think uh, if anyone you know tries to take credit, well, I'm good at this. Well, you're only good at this because you've got backup of this person, this person, and this person that's also good at this. So I think uh, uh, you know cancer is a is a team effort. Uh, and I think uh, all of us work so well as a team and have made tremendous uh, advances uh, in cancer care uh, that, uh, you know, um, if, if you have to talk about legacy, I talk about legacy of uh, the breast cancer team uh, over the last uh, 20 years uh, to, to really show the, the benefits that we've made in, in not only cancer care, but patient care, uh, and helping people through their cancer journey. Well, that is a good legacy. It's not, it's not just the team that you've mentored and put together, but the hundreds, if not thousands of, of women and even some men who are walking around today due to the efforts of you and your team. Yes. What, what is that like when you see or meet a patient or see them at Pelotoni or when they come in for a visit after five years and you know that you and your team played a role in them still being here? It's, it's very gratifying, Steve. Uh, I mean, I think, uh, it, you know, it's, it's been a, uh, a very, very hard career. Uh, uh, cancer journeys for the patient is also a cancer journey for the doc. Uh, and, uh, you, you know, everyone doesn't live. So you have many, uh, uh, many times where, 
you 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 try to do everything you can and and you're not successful and those are the difficult times uh, in, in taking care of cancer patients but uh, uh, for me it's been a very very rewarding uh, time I've met some great people uh, and uh, but uh, you know have have had some some great results, but also some not great results. So we need to keep working uh, and the team needs to move forward uh, and uh, continue to do clinical trials and continue to learn the different ways to advance the, the therapies that we have now to make them less toxic and, and work better. Well, well, that's a great legacy. And, and I, I believe that a really good leader, a great leader leaves the place that they helped build in a stronger position than it was before. And you've done that. So thank you. Well, I hope, I hope that's true. This podcast is brought to you by the Ohio State University Comprehensive Cancer Center, Arthur G. James Cancer Hospital, and Richard J. Solov Research Institute. For more information, check out our website, cancer.osu.edu.